Welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. Thank you all for joining me today. I'm super, super excited because I actually think I've met a person that actually probably has more energy than me, <laughs> Mr. Ryan Blair. He's got an amazing life. He's an author of two, uh, two bestsellers, New York Times bestsellers, and he has just an amazing journey. I, um, I, I Ryan, in the past, I, I've read about you and heard about you and I was so inspired and um, I just can't believe I hit hit Ryan up on Instagram and he was so kind to actually respond and I'm just so impressed with that and like I said his story is amazing so I'm here to celebrate you today Ryan in your life and I hope that other people are inspired by your story. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, you know it's, it's a privilege to be able to serve and to be able to work with you Martin and making an impact together is an honor. Yeah, I just your energy is so infectious and how you're just giving back to the community because there's so many people that are successful and they just don't give back. And I'm just so impressed by you. So um, I just really appreciate you being here. Thank you. You know, I've I've experimented with a lot of different ways of life and I found that the way of service is the most gratifying and the most fulfilling and it leads ultimately to the most happiness. Well, I, I'm going to start off by asking you. You know, tell me where you're, you're born and raised and uh, yeah, give me kind of the, your history in your life. And I'll be asking you a bunch of questions after that because I have a million. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I, I was born in Torrance, California, just outside of Los Angeles. And I started my life in the middle class. My dad was an engineer. My mother was a homemaker. And after both of them got addicted, my mother to alcohol and my father to drugs, you know, my family disintegrated. And I found myself going from middle class to poverty. I lived in poverty, got involved in gangs, was in and out of juvenile home, and was involved in a terrible way of life. And by the grace of God, at 17 years old, my mother found me a mentor, and he was an entrepreneur, and he lived in the wealthy class. And I decided at that point that I was going to follow him and learn as much as I could from him, and that I wanted to live in the wealthy, wealthy class as well. So by the age of 17, I'd seen the middle, I'd seen poverty and I'd seen the wealthy class and I made a decision that I was going to become wealthy because I wasn't good at school and you know I, I wasn't ever considered a bright child. I had no choice but to become an entrepreneur. And so I decided to become an entrepreneur that I would start my own business as opposed to you know get a degree and, and go after the traditional route. And as a result of that, I've you know since gone on to create some pretty successful companies and you know I'm still in the process of creating companies to this day. Ryan, can you tell me more about that? I, I'm very interested in, in, the, in that, that difficult portion of how you related to your dad and, and how, how do you think in retrospect your dad got addicted and then how did, what was that process? How did you get pulled into that and what kind of skills and what did you learn and how did you get out of that lifestyle? That's what I'm wondering because it takes a lot to get out of that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Well, you know, I was raised with faith, so I got out of it by making deals with God. And there are times even in later in my adult life when I had challenges with substances. I, I don't know that I was 100 percent addicted, but I definitely was making bad decisions. And I was self-medicating when I was going through a very difficult time when I was losing my mother. And every single time that I've ever uh, been able to get out of a hole, it's been because of my faith and you know, the deals that I've made with God. My, my dad was an addict 
for the same reason that I was heading in that direction. And that was because he had had trauma as a child. And as a result of the forgiveness work that I've done and the healing that I've done, I now can see my dad for the child that he once was and the trauma that he suffered. And as a result of that trauma that was unhealed, he created a way of life and made certain unconscious connections that resulted in him being an abusive, violent addict. And as a result of that, he passed on some of that energy onto me. And I, although I didn't adopt 100% of his, um, you know, his, his traits and characteristics, I certainly adopted some of them, adopted some of them. And as a result of that, I realized that I needed to make a change and, you know, and, and you know, dedicate my life to, to doing that. So I have healed my relationship with my father. He's no longer with me physically. He's only with me spiritually, but I feel as connected to him as ever. And, you know, and, um, but it was a rough period of time that I went through. And in fact, the first 40 years of my life, I was running from various uh, fears and elements that my father had instilled within me. Like, like, for example, if you can give me some examples about what those were. And, and I, and one of the things I really enjoyed about your, your book or your books, actually, both of them is just telling, talking about the lessons you learned from your dad, but that you were able to forgive him because so many times we hold on to those resentments against, against people that have hurt us in the past. Yeah. Well, the lessons that you learn as you do this work of personal growth is you, you start to become aware of when you are unconscious and you made decisions and you took actions and had behaviors that were unconscious. And when you start to look at those unconscious behaviors, sometimes there's consequences to them. And you go, wow, why was I that way? Why did I act that way? Why, why did I think that way? Why did I feel that way? Why did I have this anxiety or this depression or this need to self-medicate? And those are really unconscious things that happen that you have to evaluate. You have to really ask yourself, what is the root of that? And most of these things root back to the way we were raised or some traumatic event that we haven't healed. And as a result of that traumatic event, we form the wrong connection or the wrong lesson from it. Like we might very well think because dad was an addict, he didn't love me. And because he didn't love me, you know, I'll never, you know, be loved. Or, you know, because dad was an addict, you know, he said terrible things to you. And as a result of that, you now feel unworthy. You know, we make these connections as children. And oftentimes those connections lead us to behaviors that aren't conscious. They're not with intention, basically. And so in retrospect, you know, now that I'm in a position in my life of being able to heal and help heal others by the way of my healing, I get to go look back at every action, every memory, every sin, every success and ask myself, what was the intention behind it? And was it conscious or was it unconscious? And then you said your mom provided you like when you were in that dark place, did you go to your mom for help? I mean, there, I, I love the idea of mentors because when I grew up, uh, I didn't have a lot of mentors. Um, and so I, I realized as I got older that you, it's in, the importance of having mentors. How did your mom connect you with that mentor? And what made you say, you know what, mom, I'm going to go ahead and get away from this, get away from the drugs. And I'm going to, I want this. I'm going to embrace this, this challenge. Well, you know, my mom truthfully couldn't help me the way I needed to be helped. One, because I'm a man and she was a woman. And so to all the single mothers out there, it's very difficult to raise a, a child, especially an alpha male like me that was highly competitive 
you know, was very rebellious, right? So my poor mom, she couldn't help me. So the only thing that she could do is find another man that could help me. And my, you know, my mother had her own struggles too. My dad was abusive toward her. And, you know, so she couldn't really bear the burden of my pain when she was still struggling with her own. Um, but she did love me and she loved me unconditionally and she believed in me. And so I, I have to pay tribute to her. She's no longer with me physically. She's with me spiritually. She gave me, and, and my father for that matter, a wonderful recipe that you know resulted in me making a lot of mistakes, but also having a lot of successes. With regard to when my mentor first showed up in my life, I rejected it. I didn't like it. I, um, at first I wanted to rob him, but that's when my faith kicked in, my spirituality kicked in. And I thought maybe this is a God-given gift. Maybe this man, you know, because how many poor kids get a rich man mentoring them? Like that just doesn't happen in the neighborhood that I was raised in. And so, you know, I, I suspended my evil ways and said, maybe God has a plan here. And I'll never forget one day I was in his house and I used to do like chores for him. And the doorbell rang and it was someone at the door to pay him rent. He owned a bunch of homes and he was a landlord. And they gave him an envelope and it was filled with cash and there was thousands of dollars in there. And at that time, I was still a gang member and I was thinking, you know, I could take this money and say nobody ever showed up. Right. I could take this money and run and never come back. And that would be the end of it. And I remember I I had a moment come over me where my soul basically was like, you do that and you're going to destroy this opportunity because this man's never going to have anything to do with you again. And I got on my knees. I prayed and I said, I'll never steal from this man. I thank God for bringing this man into my life. I put the money uh, you know, in a place where he could get it. And I, I never looked back and he started mentoring me and him and my mom started dating and he became my stepfather and he became one of the main reasons why I am the entrepreneur that I am today. And, and how did, how would, you know, when you're going through this transition, how do, how did your friends take this? That must've been difficult for you because you were hanging out, you were in a gang and you were probably hanging out with other people that were using, how did they, did they try to pull you back or was there a lot of, was it, was it a difficult transition for you to, to say, you know what, I'm going to reject this part of it and I'm going to move this, this way. What was yeah. that transition like for, and like, what's, what would you, what would you advice would you give to somebody trying to, to deal with that same, those same issues? Well, well anytime you have, you want to level up in life, you have to change who you, you surround yourself with. And even today for me to level up, I have to leave some people behind you're either going to grow with people or you're going to outgrow them if you are committed and dedicated to becoming your own, you know, best, your, your, you know, your heroic self. And so even to this day, I have to, you know, let, let leave people behind as I continue to grow and it doesn't feel good and they don't like it. And they always try to pull you back because the lower vibrational frequency will try to pull you back and the higher vibrational frequency will try to pull it up. And that makes the lower vibrational people uncomfortable. And if the higher vibrational person doesn't move on, then they'll be pulled back. And it happens in relationships. It happens in marriages. It happens in friendships. It happens everywhere. So you're either growing with the person or you're growing apart from them. Um, with regard to my gang friends and, and the you know, people like that, you know, I, I, I moved not only into another level of thinking, but a whole nother class as well. You know, I, I was removed from poverty and put in the wealthy class. And so that's an interesting experiment to a person's identity. And it really does change a person. 
um, and it changes everything about them. So no doubt there is there was a lot of people that just didn't like me and still don't like me because, you know, I hit the lottery, basically. And I went from being poor to, you know, being among the wealthy. I wasn't wealthy yet, but I was among them. I was accepted by them. Um, then from there, I had to become wealthy on my own. And when you were in high school, when, uh, how old were you when you met your stepdad and he became your mentor? And I was 17 years old when I met him. So you, so you had your struggles uh, a lot with your, with your, your biological dad before. Was your dad abusive to you? And I mean, yeah. do, do you have brothers and sisters? I mean, how, how did that, how did that kind of evolve? For well, you? He, he was, you know, he was um, very rageful, you know, when, when he got triggered. And that was that, you know, some of my earliest memories are of, you know, getting, um, you know, beaten or having watching my brothers and sisters get beaten. When I was too young to really be beaten too bad, I watched him beat them really bad and then beat my mom really bad as well. So he had, you know, he had a very rageful uh, trigger to him. Um, but then when he mixed that with cocaine and drugs and methamphetamines and alcohol and all that other stuff, it just became a disaster. He was successful. We were, you know, secure in the middle class. And at that time, in the you know 80s and 90s, he was making $100,000 a year, and that was a big deal back then. Uh, but then once drugs took over, you know, he he lost his job, and you know the family structure disintegrated. And I literally watched our home get foreclosed on, our cars get repossessed. I watched everything fall apart because of drugs. And what do you what do you think when you think back on that? What do you think? gave you the drive to get through that because that's such a difficult time that a lot of people can't get out of there. What do you, what kind of things and characteristics did you have that you maybe just pushed you through that was your mom guiding you? And No, mom, mom, she would always tell me, um, you can be anything that you set your mind to. And that was a simple principle that she gave to me that I, that I believed in, but you know, truth be told, I had, um, I had the perfect, uh, situation to become an entrepreneur. So, you know, I had I had lost everything. I had lost my uh, middle class comforts. I lost my house. I lost my car. I lost my status. I lost, um, you know, new clothes come school year. I lost new presents under the Christmas tree. I lost all of that. And so none of that stuff has ever really um, captured me too much. I wanted much bigger things than a nice house and a nice car. You know, I wanted much more than that. And when I saw the model of the wealthy class, you know, I realized that they lived differently. And because I had a lot of street smarts, I would size them up and I would, you know, look at them and say, they're no better than me. They, they, they just have information that I don't have and I'll obtain the information. You know, they, they weren't stronger than me because I could beat every one of them in a fist fight that I met, basically. I was a good fighter. So there wasn't, there wasn't a chance they could physically out, out beat me. They weren't smarter than me streetwise. Even my stepfather, you know, he would get taken by people. He would, I'd watch the way he um, conducted his business and what he did. And I was like, I used to lead a gang. So I used to lead hundreds of people. So I, I felt as though I was a better leader than him. Um, and I had also obtained some skills that at that time were rare. And that was in the computer science field. So in, in the gang that I was in, I used to steal computers and reprogram them and sell them. And so I had basically obtained a very valuable trade skill at the time in the first dot-com era and at the time when that skill was highly in demand. And so I had a skill that, that I had crafted and created um, 
I had an an attitude that you know that that I was stronger in my mind than all of these rich people that I had met. Um, and I I you know I just sized them up and said if they could have it, I could have it too. And I was going to find a way to do that. That's amazing because you use all those kind of those skills that some people would think of as being negative. Actually, you kind of like turn those on its head and, and made those positive things in your life. Did you? Um, so this is interesting. So when you're in high school, what were your goals in high school? What were you thinking about like in your own process? Because you probably had friends. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to. Yeah. What, were you, what, were you, what, were you, what was your guiding principle at that time? Did you have any direction at that time? The only goal that I had in high school was to not to be murdered not to have my mother murdered and not to go to prison uh, for the rest of my life. Those, uh, that was it. That was the way I lived my life all through high school because of the gang I was involved in, I was a target. And because of the leadership role that I had, people wanted to kill me. And if they couldn't get to me, they try to get to my mother. And so I had to worry about her protection constantly. And I had to worry about people finding out where I lived and I had to worry about survival. So that was it. I went to continuation high school. I, I didn't get past my freshman year. Um, you know, I, I was uh, not considered intelligent or considered gifted in any subjects whatsoever. So th those are the only goals. Um, then when I, I met my stepfather and I saw the way he lived and he told me, he believed in me and he said, Ryan, you could be a great salesperson. And I was like, what's a salesperson? You know, I had a negative connotation towards salespeople. You know, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not going to go door to door and so forth. He goes, no, you don't understand told me that like the best um, richest people in the world are the best salespeople. The president is a salesperson. You know, the preacher is a salesperson. The business owner is a salesperson. And so he told me I could be successful at sales. And he gave me some books and some personal growth books for me to first listen to because I couldn't read at the time. And from there, wow. that sparked a curiosity in me that, you know, that changed my life. And it opened, it turned me into a student. And from from the time that I first listened to the first uh, tapes that he gave me, I then just became, you know, it was like having a starving child that had never been fed and then you feed him his first meal. And I was like, I want to eat more. I want to eat more. I want to eat more. And it turned an appetite on of just uh, voracious learning. And from there, I then graduated high school in an adult program and went to college uh, to a two year and then to a four year. Uh, and then I, I started a business. I, I, got a job as an engineer. So by the time, while I was in college, I was making $100,000 a year, bought my first house, bought my first car, and I just couldn't stop learning. I turned into just a sponge for any information that came my way. That's amazing. Now, what was your first business? I mean, were you successful at all these businesses? And um, I mean, what was the first business that you got into? And have you had any failures along the way? Yeah, I, you know, I fail all the time. Um, the, the my, my first business was called 24 seven tech. And, you know, I'd come up with an idea. I'd worked at a company called logics where I was um, at that time I was the vice president. I'd worked my way from a call center agent to a vice president. And, you know, I was uh, running their software group and their data center group for a minute. And then I decided because if I could do all of that at logics, I could start my own company and, I spun off an asset of logics called 24 seven tech, what I called it 24 seven tech, which was basically an expense they were operating, which was their data center. And I said, I could serve that data center to the business community way ahead of, of, you know, of managed services. 
I started doing that and then realized it wasn't, you know, a very scalable model. And then from there, I came up with this idea called Sky Pipeline, which was an internet service provider that provided wireless broadband service. Um, and I built that very quickly. I raised venture capital for it at around 21 years old and sold it at 24 years old in a $25 million transaction. So was I, I was, was 24 seven successful. Yes. I, you know, I, I learned PR, I learned sales, I learned some marketing and I had, you know, built a nice little business, but it wasn't successful in terms of making me a ton of money. I mean, I might've made $75,000 a year and Sky Pipeline was very successful in that I was able to return a significant sum to my investors and I learned a ton. I didn't make a huge amount of money in the sale. You know, my investors were much smarter than I at, you know, creating contracts and so forth. But that then led me to my next venture, which is called Visalis, which, you know, I turned into a $635 million company that did over hundred million a year in profit. Um, and I've since invested and started a number of other different businesses. So when you first started, when, so you were actually going to school, you were actually going to college and then working on these businesses. Like, how did you manage those two things? And how did you stay driven during, you know, doing all that? Because it, it's a lot. And then you were probably, you know, we're not even, you haven't even talked about, like, you have a personal life too outside. <laughs> so you have school. I, I, didn't have a, I didn't have a personal <laughs> life in my 20s. I had a, I had a, um, I had a girlfriend, but I didn't have really much of a personal life. Um, I, I was only committed to one thing and one thing only, and that was closing the gap between because I was a street kid. I had a street kid vocabulary. So I had to listen to audio tapes on just vocabulary, on learning English. I would sit inside of a, a you know, a, a meeting and I would, my stepfather would have friends over and I would hear words and I'd be like, I don't know what that word is. I don't know what that word is. And I, I, you know, I'm not a good speller. Still am not to this day. I'd write it down and go try to look it up. And, you know, and so I had a gap that I had to close. And that's one of the key messages that I'll, I'll tell all the listeners here is each and every single one of us has a gap between where we're at and where we want to be. And all you have to do is close it. And the way we have to close it is through information and action. And it's just those two ingredients. And in order to do that, we have to eliminate distraction. And I didn't have very many distractions at all in my 20s. I mean, like there was a few moments in my 20s that I got, but from from 19 to 24, not a single distraction, really. And then I had from about 24 to 26, some distraction, and then started Vicelis at 27. And then not a single distraction from 27 to 32. And then, you know, I, I hit it big and then allowed some more distractions in. And then what about goals wise when you were younger? I mean, how did you stay? I guess the biggest thing is how do you stay so focused? What I, I find amazing is that, um, you're, 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 you're in constant learning mode, but it's just you were able to reduce those distractions and really were able to get really focused on what your goals were. Um, how did you do that? What kind of skills did you have and what did you learn through that process that made you so focused? Um, I, I think that I, I learned my focus from having to learn how to survive. You know, when, when you're being shot at, you're being chased, you're in a jail cell and people are trying to bully you and intimidate you. And when I say bully, this isn't light bullying. This is like, these people want to beat you. And, and if, you know, you get caught uh, without a guard looking at you, it's going to be ugly kind of bullying. Um, and so 
having that amount of fear in your system requires you to learn how to focus to get out of that fear. And that's that's why my first book is called Nothing to Lose, because, you know, my attitude was I had nothing to lose. And I've always been you know pretty good at turning on focus, although, you know, I have some natural uh, ADD kind of tendencies that I've now utilized meditation to work through. I've always been very good at turning it on. The other thing that helped me with that is athletics, you know, mm -hmm. uh, playing skill, uh, playing sports and martial arts and baseball and things like that. You learn how to turn on focus and flow state. So I had that ability athletically and I just applied it to business. And I'm going to go back to this for a second. What I, um, when you said you were, you were addicted to drugs uh, or you were struggling with those issues, um, did you, were you ever able to just disconnect that and leave that totally behind? Or do you still have those, do those things still come, come up when you're having struggles? Do they ever come back? And how do you deal with keeping those kind of in the periphery and out of your life for good? Yeah. You know, I have healed the trauma that wanted to, so when your body is craving to poison itself, you have to ask yourself why that is like, why would my body, you know, crave poison? Oh, sounds like we have a, a, a little bit of siren drive by it. That's all right. But when... Um, yeah, sounds like it's, something's going on. Yeah, the police are they're, they're bar they're breaking up this interview. Yeah, yeah. No worries. Um, but yeah, when, when, you're, when your body craves poison, you have to ask yourself, why is my body craving poison? When your mind craves to escape from the reality that you have, you have to ask yourself, why is that? So with regard to my desire for substances, I don't have that anymore. I don't have a desire to put anything negative in my body whatsoever. Um, I don't have to label myself as an addict. I don't have to be in fear of it. I can witness people have drinks in front of me and it doesn't bother me at all. But I've, I've built a, a understanding that I don't need to escape the reality that I'm in. And I, in fact, a gratitude and a love for the reality that I have that the idea of escaping, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't occur to me. And drugs and alcohol is really trading, you know, it's trading small light for big light. So yes, there's pleasure that's had in a glass of wine or a bottle of wine, but that's the small light. And the big light that you lose by that is, you know, you lose the opportunity to be the most efficient and productive that you can be. You lose the opportunity to have, you know, great sleep. You lose the opportunity to have a great workout the next day. You lose the opportunity to know that you've been, uh, you know, consistent and disciplined for X many days straight. Like you lose some big light by chasing that short-term pleasure. And so when I learned that I was chasing short-term pleasure uh, and I was losing long-term light, basically, or long-term pleasure, it became very simple to me to be able to restrict the things that you know, that were gratifying in the short term, but painful in the long term. And, and you're so I want you I want to get into your businesses and, and how you how what made you write two books. And I have to tell you, the books are amazing because it's kind of your like kind of a, a good summation of all the life lessons that you that you've learned. And even when I, in our discussions now, I can see how this is kind of comes it came through in your books as well. Um, so what was the genesis of your companies like you gave you gave the ages and what were the steps when you when you when you put together a business plan, when you put together a plan for success? What kind of steps and what kind of things did you do to 
to plan for that success and what made those businesses evolve and to become more successful over time? Well, the best way I can describe it is it's like building a house. And if you've never built a house, right, the first time you do it, it's painful. But you can conceptualize, like, let's say you're not going to build a mansion or, you know, I'm in a 7,000 square foot house right now. I, I you know, I'm, the first house that I build isn't going to be 7,000 square feet and it's not going to uh, start out as a 7,000 square foot house. Same with the business. Like, you know, you start by building a, a house and that might be a 200 square foot cabin. And then eventually over time you add on, you add on and you add on and then you might sell that cabin and decide you want to build another one. And this time around, you're going to build the cabin of your dreams. You're going to build three bedroom cabin. And then you might sell that one and build another one. And that time around, you're now you want to build a 7,000 square foot house or whatever the, the dream is. It's the same for building a business. It's like building a house. You're, you're building a system and it's an ecosystem of sorts. So, you know, you have to be able to, to you know, build an engine that provides for your team and and build an engine that provides a solution to the marketplace and provides contribution and value to that marketplace. And, and in essence, an entrepreneur is just simply a problem solver. And because I had dealt with so many problems in my life, right? I mean, almost every problem you could throw at somebody, I was like, I could handle this. I've solved much harder problems, like not going to jail and not getting killed is a much harder problem to solve than figuring out how to write a book or you know, to make a book a bestseller, right? Like figuring out how to convince a judge not to send me away for the rest of my life was a much harder problem to solve and a much bigger problem and more important problem than figuring out how to ship a product, right? So because I had figured out how to problem solve some pretty big problems, it wasn't scary to me to problem solve. And all an entrepreneur is and all a business is, it's a, it's a solution to a problem in the marketplace. And then every day you have to wake up and solve problems inside your walls so that you're more efficient at solving problems outside your walls. And the better you are at solving problems, the more value you create, the bigger the problem that you solve, the more value you create, the more value you create, the more uh, impact you make and the more income you receive. And so entrepreneurship is in fact the easiest career in the world if you can train yourself to become a problem solver which is what I am. Every day I have to solve problems on the inside of my walls and I'm, I'm running a startup now and it's, you know, it's tiny in comparison. I, I look at my quarterly numbers right now are one six hundredth of what my quarterly numbers used to be when I ran a publicly traded division of a, a company called Blythe. And, you know, I was doing, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in sales a quarter. And now I'm, you know, doing, uh, you know, millions of dollars of sales or hundreds of thousands of dollars of sales. Um, and so it's a tiny little startup. I've got 13 uh, people where I used to have thousands of people. And, you know, I'm, I'm basically building a house all over again. But the beauty about building a brand new house, and this is something that I want to impart because I struggled with this. Like, you know, I'd run this big company. I was like, how am I ever going to top that? How am I ever going to um, have something as successful as that? Will I ever? And for a while, I was stuck not taking action because I you know, I was stuck in what I had done. And then I realized there's no way I won't build something more impactful and something that is, that is, that is better crafted. And the reason why is because once you build a house, once you're always going to build the next house better than you did the last one. You, you just, you learn from the mistakes. You always build the next house better. And so I'm in the process of building another house. I'm two years in to the construction 
as an entrepreneur, it takes about five years to build the foundation of a business. So unlike a house, well, much like a house, when you build that foundation, once you build the foundation, the house goes up rather quickly, but it takes a while to build out the foundation. You have to grade everything. You have to get everything perfect. You have to lay out the plans. You know, you have to pour the cement. The cement has to dry. Like you have to do the structural work first. Then the house goes up quickly. The same is true in a business, except for it takes about five years to lay a business foundation. And once you lay that business foundation, the rest of the structure goes up quickly. And I'm on going on year, I'm on year two. I just crossed year two. So I'm technically on year three. And I'm now like just celebrating that I'm out of year one and two. And I'm building in my third year because next year will be year four. Next year, the year after that will be year five. And then I'll be really in the sweet spot of, of you know, foundation will be up and the rest of the business will come together quite nicely. And how was it when you um, when you sold? Actually, you sold your you, you mentioned your business before that you sold. Was it difficult? Was that a? I know you had some rough some rough patches with that company as well. Yeah. Tell us how you you got through that, and ultimately you came out and you came out very well. And can, can you tell us what that process was like for you, and how it how it grew, and then kind of like the down portion, and then how how it came back up again? Yeah. Well, when you're a young uh, poor guy and all of a sudden you become wealthy, your ego. See, there, there's a proverb that says that, um, you know, fast success builds ego and slow success builds character. All I wanted was fast success because I wanted to have so much fun and like at 30, you know, two and 33 and 35, I wanted to be in private jets and on helicopters and living the dream at a young age. And so I architected a business model that built very fast success but unfortunately not sustainable success. Mm-hmm. Now I had sold the business in 2012 and there were many times when I went through the recession and, you know, I had to rebuild the business model. And there were many times on my business journey where, you know, things got tough and I had to learn and build and, and recraft and reorient the business. But once I sold the company in 2012, because the success was so fast and the wealth was so extreme to myself and so many others that were connected to the, the business, a lot of ego creeped in, a lot of greed creeped in, and it became an unfortunate situation where the business didn't turn out to what it could have been. Mm-hmm. And I take responsibility for that because, you know, when, when, when you have a goal to become, you know, rich enough to own your own plane and own mansions and, and travel wherever you want to. And that was the goal is I, I wanted to get to a place where I could basically celebrate life in a way that, you know, that I'd never dreamed of or I had dreamed of, but I'd never experienced. And once I got that level of, of wealth, that's what I did. And the business suffered because of that. And a lot of other people around me did the exact same thing. And all of a sudden, myself and my fellow leaders within the business, we we're more worried about the vacations we we're taking and the houses we we're buying and the, the awards we were winning and the, the ego related stuff than we were about, you know, the fundamentals of our business. And also, that was a, a product of the fact that we did sell it. And as a result of that, we had less of a vested interest within it. And so that changed some of the dynamic of the business, the fact that all of us now had extreme wealth and none of us were as attached emotionally to it as we once were. And what, and what did you, what were the big lessons you learned out of that? And I kind of, that's a good segue for me. And that's what I love about your, both of your books and, and is those life lessons that you brought. Cause you're very, very successful and you, you, you're very successful out of that venture. Um, can you just 
give us some of the life, life lessons you learned and some lessons, not only in life, but in business and all aspects of your life. And, and then we can get into uh, both of your books and. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I've, I've shared a number of the lessons. I have a lot of frameworks that I've derived from and I went back and looked through all the wins and all the losses. And as my consciousness has grown and elevated, I've been able to look at prior decisions and prior experiences with a different perspective than, than I once did. So my, my two books and my documentary are a journey of my um, awareness. And it's beautiful to go back and, and I reread and I go, wow, there's really gold in the levels of awareness that I had. And those levels of awareness have grown. And I'm now writing another book and I have another documentary coming out. And no doubt that five or six years, I'll have another book and another documentary as I continue to develop my consciousness and my understanding of myself and my level of awareness. And, and the, the sport of being an entrepreneur, you know, it, I have to pay tribute to the sport that I'm in. Um, but the, the, you know, the big lesson that I'll tell you that, you know, and I, I said it in the analogy of building a house, you know, building a business is like building a house and it takes a minute to build that foundation. And once you do, becomes great. But, you know, the moral of the story, though, is to be very careful and deeply understand your ego and your shadow. See, I didn't, I never healed the things that were plaguing me. So I thought success and money would heal those things. Mm -hmm. And I found that it didn't. In fact, the more money I made, the bigger the hole was, the, the more painful, the more pain and loneliness I felt. And, and the more separation I had from others, as opposed to connection, I created separation. So, you know, because I wanted to be uh, revered and loved and appreciated and admired for my successes. I wanted to be somebody. And so I, you know, because my dad treated me like I was no one. Uh, my mom, you know, she, she couldn't treat me the way that she should have because of her, her own, uh, you know, unhealed wounds. Society didn't treat me correctly the way I felt. You know, nobody recognized me as the genius that I was, they saw me as a failure and, you know, a terrible student and that I was going to amount to nothing. And all of a sudden now I've got more homes and more cars and more planes and more this and that. And I wanted to be recognized and I got the recognition. I still wasn't satisfied and it was just this vicious cycle. And so now, you know, I've, I've done a tremendous amount of healing work and I've spent the past four years going deep into all the unhealed trauma and, and really trying to understand, you know, who my soul is and why I'm here and what I'm here to do. And, and I've done a lot of deep work in that. And so the biggest lesson that I wish I could tell my younger self is you know, do the deep work early so you don't have to do it later. And how would you suggest that? You said do the deep work early. How would you, what advice would you give somebody that was young to do that deep work? What do they need to do? Prayer meditation, breath work, vocal work, spend time in nature, treat your body like a temple. Don't put anything negative into it whatsoever. Don't consume negative content. Treat your mind uh, with the same reverence that you should treat your body. Don't listen to low vibrational music, low vibrational politicians. Don't listen to negative content because there's so much of it out there. You have to protect your mind. You have to protect your body. And, you know, and, and really get to know your soul. Like, ask yourself, who am I? Who and how, 
How would you do that, Ryan? If you're in a, and if you're in, a, if you're, if I'm an inner city kid that I don't have a lot of mentors, I don't have a, I don't have any mentors. Um, I'm from a broken home. I'm having a difficult time in life, and they listen to this podcast. What, where would you tell them to go for this? Is there, I mean, where, where can they go deep inside themselves, or where could they go in terms of, what would you recommend they do? Well, we, you do have a mentor. You, you have. Uh, you know, mentors now putting out content like the very content that we're listening to or you're listening to. You have YouTube videos of the greatest uh, teachers of our time that are free. You know, when I was when I was uh, a teenager, I had to go steal books from the library and from the you know from the the, the bookstore. Basically, there was a, a bookstore called Egghead Software, and I'd have to go steal books to learn like you don't have to steal the information it's available to you for free now so in essence don't make any excuses there's a gap and close it take mm. responsibility and know that god rewards you every time you take an action in the right direction you will receive a reward for it so if you say i don't know what i'm going to do but i'm going to go read a book today go read the book today the more you do that you got to realize the spiritual game is like a video game and the more good deeds you do and good actions you take, and the more you invest in yourself, the more points you get. The more bad deeds you do, the more you harm people or steal from people or take from people, the more points you lose. If you want to grow in the, the spiritual game, all you got to do is gain points and not lose as many points as you are right now. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And like I said, uh, nothing to lose and everything to gain is bestseller. Uh, what made you write that? And uh, what, what, what is the big takeaways out of that? And I'm going to go to the next book as well. Well, nothing to lose is a mindset. You know, it's an attitude. See, I, I had nothing to lose. I was like, I'm, I'm going to be rich. I wasn't afraid of the middle class going away. I'd already experienced that. Most people, you know, in the middle class, they're so afraid of losing their status that they never actually take the risk to become an entrepreneur. And most people that are in the poor class, and I was there too, are so afraid of losing their status that they never take the risk to leave the mindset of poverty or leave the environment of poverty. You know, they're afraid to be picked on because now all of a sudden they're turning to books as opposed to turning to drugs. They're afraid to be, uh, you know, made fun of for, you know, changing the way they dress and trying to take better care of themselves, right? So people are afraid of losing their status. And I have to tell you right now, number one piece of advice I'll tell you is it's all a game. Like everything around you is a game. Every Everyone on Instagram that appears to have a better life than you have is playing the game. It's a game. It's a, the government is a game. The system is a game. The education system is a game. It is all a game. And once you realize that this game was created by people that are no smarter than you, then you can choose how you want to play the game and where you want to play the game. And you could become great at the game. But right now, most of you are stuck watching other people play the game. You're watching LeBron James play the game. He has figured out how to play the game of basketball. You need to figure out how to play the game of life. And the game of life is real simple once you see it as such and once you realize how it works and the structure and the rules of the game. I figured that, that game out. Now I'm privileged to play at a very high level. And you can too. It's that simple. And I love I love in, in that book you told you – well, there's so much, there's so many things in this book I can talk about. You said, honor your deals, the importance of faith in God, the golden rules. I love all that. I mean, um, can you tell me like the importance of honor your deals? And I love this too, what you talk about, smarten up my learning style. 
Yeah. Can you, can you just talk about that for a moment? Yeah. You know, there's my books are um, they're a very vulnerable narrative where I dump all the information that I learn along the way. And I only write books about every, you know, five or so years. Nothing to Lose was written in 2011. It's still selling around the world today. Um, and so I write books to be on the shelf, hopefully for my grandchildren's grandchildren. And they're the lessons I've learned. Um, you know, you, you smarten up is about the gap that I have just described. Mm-hmm. Honoring your deals was inspired by my stepfather because I'd witnessed him honor his deals. It's very easy to make deals and make agreements and not honor them. And my stepfather was a very honorable man. And so I, I learned that lesson from him. And I, I wrote about that in tribute to him. And, you know, I haven't always honored my deals. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means. I do honor them uh, consistently now. But, you know, there are times where I wrote out those values and I tested them, as many of us do. And I learned the hard way that, you know, when you don't honor your deals, there are consequences to that. And when you honor them, you know, there's a reward for it. And so I've experimented enough with the carrot in my life thus far, uh, and the stick for that matter, that I've decided that the carrot is much more pleasurable than the stick. And when you don't honor your deals, you get the stick. And I love in your in your book, Rock Bottom to Rock Star. I love some of the things in here, the psychology of success. I, I love the mindset. I love that. And if you could talk about taking the stairs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Taking the stairs was a lesson that I learned from uh, Jeff Bezos. You know, he he would run up, I think it was like 15 stories every day, uh, you know, from from his parking garage at his office, you know, to his, his desk. And, you know, he took the stairs, taking the stairs is saying I'm going to do things the hard way. I'm not going to take the shortcut. I actually look for ways to take the stairs in my life today. Like, for example, I decided that I was no longer going to use the microwave. And the reason why is because, you know, microwave doesn't make food taste so good. You know, food tastes much better when it's prepared outside of a microwave than it's prepared inside of one, right? We all know that. But it's a real simple shortcut to warm up food, right? And it takes 10 minutes to say warm something up you know, in a pot or a pan, and it takes two minutes to do it in a microwave. But what do you lose by putting it in the microwave? You lose high quality, high tasting food, right? It doesn't ever taste as good when it's been microwaved. So I decided to eliminate the microwave from my life. That's like taking the stairs. When you do those things, like, you know, it's real easy for me to spend all day long on Instagram, but I'd rather take the stairs and spend my day reading books or spend my day serving and helping other individuals rather than you know, endlessly scrolling. So the analogy of taking the stairs is around, you know, doing, don't taking, not taking shortcuts, but, you know, taking the harder road to success, knowing that that hard road is going to build the character in you. And that character within you is going to compound your success even further. And I have to tell you uh, what I've learned. I, I, I read a lot. And I, I when I was growing up, um, I was, you know, wasn't in the best financial situations as well. So I kind of lost myself in books. That's how I travel and learn things. And I learned something a long time ago. If your books are available everywhere and they're in the library too, <laughs> that tells you how good these books are. Because okay. I've learned over time, the books that aren't that great are not going to be in your library. <laughs> and I have to tell you, um, I purchased your books, but I also have a hard copy of your books from the library. And I, and I was so impressed by that because I was like, this is, I mean, these are good quality books. So, um, oh, thank you. 
but I, I appreciate there are so many life lessons and I encourage people to uh, to take a look at your books because they, it, it was a wealth of knowledge. And now this is my good fun part here. I'm going to ask you some real kind of rapid fire questions here. Um, what is on your bucket list that you have not achieved yet? I'd like to go to India. Uh, I've not been to India yet. I'd like to, to go explore the various spiritual traditions within India. So that's that's one of my um, things on the bucket list. And I've been looking at houses on the beach. I, I live in the hills right now and I, I love where I live, but I've been looking at houses on the beach. So I'd like to purchase a home in Malibu or you know a place like that, you know, very close to the beach so I can enjoy that environment. Um, I have a cabin in um, the high desert near the forest. I want to get another one deep in the forest where you know, you're just in the trees, right? I have a beautiful cabin that sits on top of a mountain that you can see for hundreds of miles, um, which is beautiful. But I also want to get another spot. I like to go away and write at these places. I want to find one that's deep in a forest somewhere. You know, um, I want to uh, see my son either start his own business, graduate, but just be happy and successful. And I, I want to be there for every memory and every moment that I possibly can with him. And that's my ultimate goal. Yeah, it's, you know, what I was going to bring up your son. What life lesson would you, the one life lesson that you could pass on to your son? And I know you absolutely love your son. Yeah. I, and, and I have to tell you, I'm just so impressed by that. Um, what life lesson, the one life lesson you could pass on to your son? Because that's one of my questions. Well, it would be the very lesson that my mother passed to me. And that is that you can do anything you set your mind to. And I know that that's easy to say, and it sounds almost cliche, but if you really think about it, this, this mind of ours is a supercomputer. It is the most powerful instrument that has ever been created in all of the planet. It's more powerful than the computer that you're watching this on. It's more powerful, powerful than anything that we can imagine. And we just have to learn how to activate it. We have to learn how to, to cultivate a mindset that activates it. And so I would love my son to go deep into the understanding that he can do anything he sets his mind to. And then who is the one person in your life who you want to meet that you have not met? And what would you say to them? Mm. You know, I, I'm a huge fan of Barack Obama. I've been to his White House. I've been in the room oh. with him, but I, I didn't actually get to meet him personally. And I have one-on-one -on -one with him. But I was invited into his White House and invited into his environment. And so I got to observe the man and observe his environment, which was fantastic. But I'd love to have a conversation with Barack Obama. And I'd love to, you know, ask him some deep questions that that haven't been asked. You know, I, I think that a lot of the questions that we ask our presidents seem to be very superficial. And I'd love to, you know, go deep with him and, and ask him some some deep question. I, I love asking these questions, uh, Ryan, because uh, you learn so much about a person, but I, I, the responses are so interesting to me. Um, that, tell me, how do you balance your work life and your personal life? I don't. I, I I see them all as one and the same. You know, every day I have the same exact, you know, plan. I, I dedicate the first few hours of my day to myself, my prayer, my meditation, my workout, my breath work, my nutrition. So before I do anything, I've already won my day. Oh, and my education. I read for about an hour every morning in addition to everything else. My, my morning routine can go between three and five hours, you know, depending on 
how much time I have available. So then from there, I go into high impact meetings um, and you only need to make a couple of decisions a day. So you don't need to fill your day with a bunch of stuff. You just need to make a few good decisions every single day and do that for enough consecutive days in a row and you will eventually have significant success. In fact, we harm ourselves when we try to make 20 decisions a day or 50 decisions a day. You know, there's 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 nothing you can do good at, at that volume. You have to do good stuff and quality stuff. So, um, and, you know, and every day I, you know, for me, I check in with my various team members and check in on their progress. You know, I have about 13, 14 people now. And, uh, and then on certain days, I have to, I have time that I get to spend with my uh, students. I have a number of people that I mentor. So I have businesses that I'm mentoring all around uh, the globe right now that I'm helping them about 200 of them. And so on certain days, I'm spending time with entrepreneurs and, and, you know, I dedicate a few hours, like later on today, I'll spend about four hours, actually about six hours later on today in service. And on other days I'm with my son and I'm dedicating my, my time to him and, you know, into our relationship and to me teaching him and growing him. Yeah. And that, that's, man, boy, you say way right into my next questions all the time. I love it. Um, what are your top attributes for a leader and what do you, who do you consider a good leader or what do you consider a good leader? You don't have to give me a person's particular. Yeah. Well, the best, the best leader is the best father. You know, or and I when I say that, or the best mother. Um, you know, for us to be able to be conscious in our communication is a great attribute attribute of leadership. Conscious in our intentions, right? Being very in, intentional, yes, but conscious. Like, I want to, I want to have this conversation because I want to eliminate this person's suffering or this person's anxiety or this person's uh, fear around, you know, whatever it is that we are mutually setting out to do. And so being conscious is the, the greatest attribute of a leader. And I would say conscious that I'm not here for me, I'm here for them. And the more that I'm able to help my team become their best, and the more that I'm able to help them grow, the more that I grow, the more that we all go together, the more that the company grows. And so, you know, those, I, I've been trained in leadership by some great individuals. John Maxwell trained me for two years. He was my mentor. I hired him. Tony Robbins has invested quality time within me. You know, I've, I've, I've uh, been mentored by Coach John Wooden, by Coach Dale Brown, by a variety of great, great leaders. And I've extracted from each of them some of their best practices and principles and then I've created my own leadership practice that I, you know, do my best to, you know, to, to operate. But ultimately I'm, I'm trying to be the best father. And by being the best father, I'm then the best leader to my son. And I want to be the best father to the movement that I've created altar call. And by being the best father to that movement, I am the best leader to that movement. And there you go. You segued into my next question. Can you please let us know, um, uh, how people can follow you, what you're doing now, um, and how they may be able to get in contact with you. I know that you've offered graciously to provide us some um, some signed books uh, from rock bomb to rock stars. So I appreciate that. And so I'm going to be asking the listeners to to be giving us a little bit of what they've learned from this podcast and to post it on to whatever platform they listen to. And we'll get those books to them. But I want to thank you for that. So can you just give us a little idea of what you're doing now and um, what business you are doing now and, you know, give yourself a plug here. 
Yeah, uh, best way to get in touch with me is on Instagram. You know, I, I spend maybe 30 minutes a day replying back to people who direct message me. So if you direct message me, you're going to get a reply from me most likely. Um, and I'm at Real Ryan Blair on Instagram. You can learn more about me going to altercall.com. That's A-L-T-E-R-C-A-L-L.com. Or you could check out my books, which are everywhere books are sold. Um, and I also have a free documentary called Nothing to Lose the Documentary on YouTube that you can check out as well. And can you tell me, just like a, spend a minute or so, tell me about um, Alter Call. Alter Call, we help people alter their lives so that they answer their calling. We work primarily with entrepreneurs and leaders. And we help them make a series of alterations to their mindset, to their body, to their health, you know, their mind, their body, their soul, and their role, basically, so that they can step fully into their purpose and answer their calling. You know, my, my goal is to help activate a group of impact agents in a variety of different business vehicles to change the way business is done and thereby changing the world. Oh, I love that. And again, you know, I want to thank you so, so much for being here. Um, you've just been, um, it was just wonderful to be able to get a hold of you. And when I told people that you were going to be on the podcast, they were blown away and they were so, so excited. And that put a lot more pressure on me because, <laughs> because, because you're such a great guy, right? And, and thank you for just giving back to the community and, and being so open uh, and, and honest about your life and, and just passing that information and knowledge you on to other people so that we can become better people too. And it motivates all of us to become better people in the, in the world. We're, we're all here such a short time. So thank you very much. Um, I have to read my wonderful add-on, but before I read my final uh, add-on, I have to just tell you this. I want to thank Jackie, oh. um, and your, your assistant. Thank you very much. I know she has a podcast, so give her a listen. Yeah. Uh, and I want to thank you again, Ryan. I want to thank Brian Garcia, the producer. And, uh, and I hope all of you are with me for the next podcast. Like I said, I have to run. You can stay here while I read this uh, add-on or you can go ahead and- Well, I just want to tell you, thank you, Martin. You're, you've been a pleasure to work with. I appreciate the questions you prepared for the interview. You know, it's just beautiful. You have such a beautiful soul and I thank you for the work that you're doing and I look forward to working with you further. Yes, for sure, for sure. Thank God you for everything, Ryan. God, God bless you. Um, this podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host your the Hyperguide Potent Motivational Podcast. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast, and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcasting and hosting for free. Check it out.